Okay, yeah, I got it. Uh, okay, guys. <clears throat> Sorry, it's a little bit after 9.30, uh, so I'm going to get started. Uh, as most of you guys know, I spent some time in Hungary at Word of Life Bible Institute. Now I'm back from Poland because uh, I spent two months there serving, serving with the goods. Um, so, you know, so as we're kind of going through the summer, I was asked to take two weeks to teach Sunday school. Uh, so, you know, so I'm glad that, glad that God has blessed me with this opportunity, and uh, this is part of the reason that I went to the school and tried to kind of further my education, is to, um, you know, is, is to be able to teach, to be able to rightly handle the Word of God. Uh, so, kind of bear with me today if I make some mistakes, because the whole teaching thing is still something that's kind of new to me. It's something that I'm still going to have to uh, kind of work on, uh, but I am thankful for the opportunity, um, you know, that Mike and that God has presented me with. Uh, to be able to be up here and share with you guys uh, what God has laid on my heart. Uh, so before I get started, uh, I'm just going to pray, and then uh, we'll get into the lesson. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, I'd like to come to you in prayer right now, uh, and I would just like to thank you for this day. I'd like to thank you for all of us that are here. Uh, so I'd just like to pray that you would be with us, that you would be with those of us who either aren't here or are still on their way, that you would just watch over them, guide them, protect them. Uh, and Lord, I do just want to pray that as your word goes forward today, uh, here in Sunday school and also uh, from the Sunday sermon, uh, that, you know, that you would be with both me and my dad as we're teaching today, um, just guide and direct our words and just to know that whatever it is that we say is uh, exactly what you would have us say and just help us to be able to calm our nerves. Um, and again, I would just like to thank you for this time and just pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. <clears throat> okay. So I kind of said a little bit this a little bit about this already, uh, but over the last year, between school and serving in Poland with the goods, I've been more exposed to evangelism than probably at any other point uh, in my life. So as I was praying and as I was thinking about what it was that I would be teaching today, the topic of evangelism uh, kept coming to my mind, it kept coming up in conversations, I kept seeing it in different texts that I was reading, um, and really throughout the year, uh, there were a lot of questions that I had regarding evangelism. And it was actually a topic that I really struggled with, and I ended up spending a lot of time really looking into it and uh, trying to answer different questions. I ended up spending a lot of time that I was reading articles, that I was trying to answer different questions, either from myself or from other people. Uh, and most importantly, I was making sure that what I was learning uh, from those articles, from those sermons that I was watching, or from conversations that I was having with people, wasn't just what man was saying, but that it was properly aligning with what Scripture said about evangelism. So evangelism was something to me that it seemed like uh, a very simple topic. And in reality, it should be. The main point is to share the gospel with other people and to make disciples, as Jesus stated in Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20, uh, which is also known as the Great Commission. So Matthew 28, 19 to 20, it's on the handout that I gave you guys. It reads, Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So as I was having conversations with people and hearing different teachings about the topic, uh, I found that there were a lot of different viewpoints on the topic of evangelism. People have different motives or reasons for why they think that we should be doing evangelism. I found that there are different viewpoints on what should and shouldn't be included in a gospel presentation, which really is something that shouldn't even be up for debate. There is only one, uh, one gospel and really only one way to present it. Uh, 
And the other, the other thing that I want to touch on is that I, uh, I have met people who believe that we don't need to do evangelism at all. And when I say that I've met people, I mean that that was me uh, probably about two or three years ago. I had believed that if we believe in election, there's no responsibility uh, on myself to share the gospel with others. And really, God has shown me that that's not the right attitude to have, and that's not even something that's really, uh, really biblical. Uh, so, the more that I heard what people thought, uh, thought about evangelism, the more that it caused me to think about what I thought about evangelism, but more importantly, what the Bible is teaching on this topic. Uh, so there, there really won't be like a main text for today. I'm going to be kind of bouncing all over the Bible, using different verses, different passages. Uh, so that's why I gave you guys the handout. It makes it a little bit easier uh, just to kind of see the verses that I'm going to be talking about. If we need more, I think Sean can make copies. But uh... <clears throat> Yeah. Um, okay. So the first thing that I, that I wanted to start off by addressing is the question, what exactly is evangelism? So evangelism, in the simplest terms possible, is the sharing of the gospel with others using words. But more importantly, not our words, but the word of God. In one of the sermons that I had listened to, Alistair Begg explains that evangelism is to present Christ Jesus to sinful people in order that through the power of the Holy Spirit, they may come to put their trust in Christ through him. Uh, I know that sometimes as Christians, we have a tendency to use the words witnessing and evangelism uh, as kind of interchangeable terms. Uh, but as I had studied the topic, I realized that there is actually a difference between, between the two. So witnessing is most commonly a visible proclamation of what Christ has done in our lives and who he is. Uh, this is done in the way that we live our day-to-day lives. So in a passage like Matthew, Matthew 5, Jesus is talking about how followers of him should be loving and praying for their enemies as well as, as well as those who love them. This is in direct contrast to the way that the world would behave. The world would only love those who love them. So this is an example of how we witness who Christ is in our actions to those that are around us. In the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul touches on the topic of how outsiders view the church and how people's behavior inside the church has a direct impact on what they think about, about the church and about believers as a whole. In chapter 11, verse 26, which we're actually going to hear today uh, during communion, Paul, Paul writes regarding communion, As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. <clears throat> so as Christians, there are two things that we do, um, which are known as ordinances. These are visible signs or reminders of what it is that Christ has done for us. These two things are communion and baptism. So when we take communion, we are remembering and proclaiming, uh, proclaiming that Christ suffered, bled, and died for our sins, and that one day he will return. When we are baptized, uh, it, is a, it, is a sign, it is a sign of being cleansed from our sins and also being raised to new life uh, with Christ. Both of these things are, are symbolic personal reminders for ourselves yeah, um, symbolic personal reminders for ourselves, but it's also a, bi- a visible pro- proclamation for both us and for other, uh, for us and other believers, and for people who are uh, unsaved. So both of these ordinances can be evangelistic if the gospel message is preached is preached along with them. So I know that a lot of people like to invite their unsaved family member, their unsaved friends, uh, when they end up getting baptized, and I think that that is a great thing to do. It presents, it presents them the opportunity to hear the gospel 
and to see what it is that you're doing. And it gives you an opportunity to be able to explain to them the significance of this day and the significance of what baptism represents. So that could really be a, a good conversation starter. So another way that we are witnesses of Christ is by sharing our own personal tes- uh, by sharing our own personal testimonies. This is our own personal experience of the work that Christ has done in our lives. This could be the healing healing of broken family relationships. It could be deliverance from an addiction, like we hear about from the holding home. Or I know for me personally, uh, it was just having that weight lifted of trying to live a works based righteousness and trying to justify myself before God. Uh, so this can be a great way to start a conversation with someone, uh, rather than just immediately overwhelming someone with a bunch of scripture or a bunch of big uh, theological terms. So the reality of the matter is that neither of these things, being our actions or our personal testimony, are enough to lead someone to salvation. Evangelism is different from witnessing because it's the preaching, uh, the preaching or the sharing of God's word. Romans ten seventeen is a very clear verse on this topic. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. The verse does not say that it's the hearing of Dom's testimony that leads someone to faith. It does not say that that the hearing of how evolution is a lie, or some other clever apologetic argument, is what is going to lead someone to faith, although that can have its place uh, in some situations. It's the word of God. Uh, The word of God needs to be included in the gospel presentation for it to be real, true evangelism. It is not my words or my personal experiences which are going to lead sinners to repentance, but the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Uh, In one of the articles, in one of the articles that I was reading from Ligonier's website, um, the uh, the passage in Acts 16 is referenced. This is the story of the Philippian jailer who was uh, who was converted, who God used, yeah, God used Paul and Silas uh, to lead him to his conversion. So I think that it's a passage that most of us are familiar with. Um, but, in, but in this passage, Paul and Silas are thrown into jail after they are preaching the gospel and they uh, cast a demon out of a slave girl. And Paul and Silas are, uh, are publicly beaten, then they're thrown into prison wrongly. But in the middle of the night, they're singing hymns and they're praying to God despite the terrible circumstances that they're in. So suddenly, God causes an earthquake, all the, door, uh, all the doors open, the chains are broken, and the prisoners have the opportunity to run free. The jailer then goes to kill himself, but Paul and Silas speak up, and they stop him. This prompts the guard to ask, to ask the question, what must he do to be saved? What must he do to have this same hope that Paul and Silas have? So the point here is that it was not the actions of Paul and Silas who were praising God, despite their circumstances, that saved the jailer. And it was not the fact that all the prisoners stayed after the doors were opened. It was not even the jailer seeing the power of God in the earthquake that saved him, but at verse, as verses 30 through 32 say, the jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. In these verses, we see that the power of God through the actions of Paul and Silas got the Philippian jailer's attention and that caused him to think and to ask the question about salvation. But it's the hearing and believing of the word of the Lord that is what actually saved him. So our actions and God's creations can prompt someone to ask the question about salvation, but it is only as Romans 10.17 says, that faith comes by hearing the word of God. So now I'm going to move on to the next point, and I'm actually going to be staying in the same passage of Acts 16, 25-34. 
So, the question is, what did Paul and Silas tell the jailer that led to his conversion? What Paul and Silas told the jailer is what we know today as the gospel message. This is something that all believers should really be familiar with and really be able to defend and be able to explain. 1 Peter 3.15 reads that we should always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for, uh, for a reason for the hope that is in you. So there's a lot of different verses or different ways that we can kind of pack, package our gospel message or give a presentation of it in more of like uh, a formal church setting. Uh, but regardless of what appropriate verses we may choose to use, there are certain points that always need to be touched on and correct ways that it needs to be presented. <clears throat> so the first thing that we need to touch on is God. God created Adam, uh, God, God created Adam and he was a perfect being and had a personal relationship with God. God is holy, God loves his creation, and because God is holy, he hates sin. After creating Adam, God gave Adam one single commandment not to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good, the knowledge of good and evil. So the second thing that you're going to want to touch on is that man did not follow that command and ate the fruit. which And this ended up introducing sin, sin, death, and separation from God. There are plenty of verses throughout the Bible that are talking about how because Adam sinned, it was transferred to all humanity since we are all descendants of Adam. However, it is not only Adam's sin uh, which has placed us under the judgment of God, but it is our own personal, uh, our own personal sins uh, and, our own, and our own personal actions and our personal rejection of God that also places us under that judgment. There is no amount of good works or things that any man can do in order to justify themselves before God and to satisfy His perfect wrath. The third point... Uh, the third point that you have to touch on is that because, God's, because of God's love for his creation, he had a plan to, resol- uh, to resolve the problem of sin and the consequences of it. This came in the form of his son, Jesus Christ, who he sent down to the earth in the form of a man, living a perfect sinless life, dying on the cross, uh, and bearing the full penalty for our sins, and then rising from the dead to show victory over both death and sin. The last point, and I'm going to go a little bit more in depth with this uh, next week, is how is man supposed to respond to these truths? The response from man will either be repentance, which leads to salvation, or rejection, which leads to damnation. So, again, next week I'm going to be covering a little bit more, um, which is some of the pastor kind of covered in Ephesians. We're going to go over God's sovereignty and man's response, how those two things um, work together, because it can be a little bit uh, complicated. So, in the book of Galatians, Paul is writing to the church, and he is addressing the issue of a false gospel, which some of the people within the church uh, are beginning to believe. So, they are being told that they need to uphold parts of the Mosaic law, plus having faith in Jesus Christ in order to be saved. So, the issue of a false gospel is something that was a problem in Paul's time, and it's still a problem today. And... Maybe I'm wrong to say this, but it actually could be even a bigger problem today. Because with social media, with the internet, everybody has a platform. Everybody can get out there and they can spew whatever nonsense they want. And there's a lot of people who, you know, because this person said, said something positive about red lipstick, oh, well, then they have to be talking positively about the Word of God, too. So it is easy for a lot of people to get, to get misled by these things. Um, so, in most of Paul's epistles... 
Uh, Paul kind of starts off with some positive things about the church. He starts off with, diff- with different greetings. Uh, but in the book of Galatians, uh, in the book of Galatians, he really wastes no time just cutting right to the point and uses some of the strongest wording. He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So the gospel that we believe, what we include in it, and the way that we present it is incredibly important. Like Paul says in verse 7, there is no other gospel. The gospel message is not ours to change. It does not belong to us. We have been entrusted with it by God, but it does not belong to us. It belongs to God. And Paul even says that in in the passage. He says that it is the gospel of Christ. Uh, So I'm not going to go through or read all the verses that support this, because there really are uh, a lot of them. Uh, But there are a couple that that I decided to write down. So in Romans chapter 1... In chapter 1, verse 1, and then again in fifteen sixteen, Paul refers to the gospel as the gospel of God. In 2 Corinthians eleven seventeen and 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, he refers to it the same way as the gospel of God three times. Peter also refers to it the same way in, uh, in one of his epistles. The point is, and I've already said this, but the point is that if the gospel belongs to God, it is not ours to change to suit a specific person to suit a specific audience, a specific situation, or to be twisted for our our own personal gain. So, this this also is something that I'm going to cover more next week, is kind of going through those four points uh, that I mentioned about the gospel and kind of going, trying to go in-depth and explain why each part of that uh, is, is so incredibly important and how they kind of build on each other. So now, uh, one of the other things that I wanted to address is uh, why it's motivations for why we should be doing evangelism. And the first thing I'm gonna, that I'm going to cover are some wrong motivations. So I've heard so many different reasons for why we should be sharing the gospel and how there is such a high sense of urgency. I've had people try to explain to me uh, that, that they want to have as many heavenly treasures as possible, uh, which to me sounds like a little bit of a selfish motive. Now, it is true that we will receive treasures, um, that we will receive treasures in heaven for our deeds on earth and for obedience to God's will in our lives. But to use that as motivation for obedience to God, I, I think kind of takes the focus off of God and places it on ourselves. It's saying, what can I gain from my obedience to God? Not saying, how does this glorify God? So another reason that I've heard uh, that we should be doing evangelism is that the faster that we reach all people with the gospel message, the sooner that Christ will return. I know that during the young adults Bible study, we were in 2 Peter chapter 3, and in verses 10 through 13, Peter is writing about the Lord's return and is, um, <clears throat> and is talking about the destruction of the earth. Verses 11 and 12 read that, Therefore, since all, uh, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? So I know that people have then taken this verse and they'll connect it to a verse like Mark 13.10 
uh, which in Mark chapter 13, Jesus is talking, is answering questions uh, about his return, about when he's going to come back, when he's going to install his kingdom. And Jesus, and Jesus responds, and the gospel must first be preached to all, uh, to all the nations. So at first glance, it does look like it says that we, can, uh, that we can do things like living a godly life or doing evangelism to expedite the return of Christ. But the first problem with this theory is, is a verse like Matthew 24, 36 and Acts 1, 7, I think is actually more of um, something that really kind of puts this to bed. So Matthew 24, 24, 36 reads, But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. And then Acts 1, 7 reads, He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority. So right there, that word fixed, we can see that it clearly says that it is a set time. That before the foundations of the earth, God had already determined when Christ would be returning and when the end would come. So there's not really anything that we can do to speed that up or, or to delay the second coming. Because it's been fixed, it's been set before the foundations of the earth. So the second problem um, with this theory is the definition of the Greek word that is used in the original text. In the English, we translated it to hasten. But the original Greek word also means to be eagerly awaiting, to be eagerly awaiting, or to be zealous for. So there's a danger here when words have different meanings in the Greek um, <clears throat> that sometimes people have a tendency to just look and they just say, oh, this definition fits what it is that I want to say. So that's what the word must say. But that's not something, something that we should be doing. That's something incredibly dangerous um, to, to be doing. So this is why we need to be students of the word. And we have to do a little bit of research and uh, a little bit of work that takes a little bit of work sometimes to make sure that we are properly understanding what Scripture is saying. So the ways that we can do this is by looking at different cross-references. That would be using Scripture to interpret Scripture, where we can take more of a clear passage, uh, or in this case a passage like Acts 1-7, and it helps to bring clarity to, uh, to other passages that might not be as clear. Uh, another thing that we can be doing to be, stu- to be students of the Word is we can be using uh, resources like Study Bible. I know that I have the ESV Study Bible from Crossway. It's a fantastic resource. The Reformation Study Bible from Ligonier is great. And I know a lot of people like to use MacArthur Study Bible. So, you know, all, all those three are, are really good resources. But I do also know that there are a lot of free online resources that we can use. Uh, not everybody has to pay for a Logos subscription. Um, I know that, like, Blue, Blue Letter Bible is one that I like. And you can go through and you can see the Hebrew and the Greek words. Uh, and it'll kind of give you the meanings, and it'll kind of explain, you know, how they arrived um, with their definitions and things. So those are just some, some things that we could use to help us to be students of the Word. So the correct meaning of the Word in this passage is to be eagerly awaiting or to be zealous for the return of Christ. And that is shown by using a clear verse, like I said, Acts 1-7, uh, to understand it, and also by looking at the immediate context of, of that Word. So this is the last of the wrong motivations uh, that I want to be touching on. And it is the worst, it's the most dangerous, and unfortunately, uh, it does seem to be the most common motivation that people use or that people say that we should be doing evangelism. That motivation, if you want to put it that way, is also known as a guilt trip. Uh, I know throughout the year in conversations that I was having with people, 
Uh, there were a lot of people that were trying to send me on a guilt trip and saying that if I wasn't out on the streets sharing the gospel with people, that these people were going to go to hell because of me and because of my actions. And that just, that just is not true. So I actually had someone use a passage in Ezekiel chapter 33, verses 7 through 9, as an explanation that if I am not taking every single opportunity that I have to do street evangelism, or to share the gospel with every cashier and every person that I come in contact with, uh, that if those people die, having never heard the gospel, that I am guilty of their blood before God. So the passage reads, Now as for you, son of man, I have appointed you a watchman for the house of Israel, so you will hear a message from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood I will, I will require from your hand. But if, uh, but if you, on your part, warn a wicked man to turn from his way, he will die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your life. So the problem with this is that this was, this was a specific message that was given to Ezekiel for Israel. This is not something that we can just insert ourselves into that text and say that this is, this is something for me. Or to say that that, mess, that that message was the gospel message. Because that's not the message that Ezekiel was given. Ezekiel was given a specific warning that he was supposed to give to the people of Israel. So, there is application in this text. It's just not that. That's a complete misapplication of this text. <clears throat> so, I know also that talking with my parents, uh, they had told me a story about when my mom was a new believer... She had gone to an event at a different church, not here, uh, and they told everyone in the room to close their eyes. They said, now picture your unsaved family members, picture your unsaved friends. Yeah, and then they started playing a tape recording of people screaming, and they turned all the lights off, and they said that the people screaming are the voices of the people that you didn't share the gospel with, who are now in hell because of your irresponsibility. <laughs> that, just, that just simply is, is not true. And again, that's something that I'm even going to cover a little bit more next week when we go over the topic of election. Um, but I am going to kind of cover it a little bit now. I cannot express enough how wrong this is. Uh, again, those people are not going to hell because you failed to share the gospel with them. It is because of their own personal rejection of God. In Psalm 19, verses 1 through 6, David writes about how God has revealed himself to all people through creation. It reads... The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament his handiwork. Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Its rising is from one end of heaven, and its circuit to the other end. And there is nothing hidden from its heat. So God's work in creation should be enough to stir someone to ask the question about salvation. However, man chooses to reject it. In Romans 1, Paul writes about how people have rejected a knowledge of God, despite him revealing himself through creation and through the moral law that is written on every single person's heart. In chapter 2, uh, Paul, Paul writes about how people are rightly judged by God, because of their personal actions and their rejection of God, not because I or someone else failed to share the gospel with them. The other problem with the guilt trip motivation 
is that all the sins of a person who has their faith in Christ are forgiven. It's not just some of the sins or only part of the sins. It is all of our sins. The atonement was perfect. So, even if it is a sin for me to not be doing street evangelism every single opportunity that I have, or it is a sin for me to not be sharing my faith, the blood of that person... Uh, the blood of that person is not on my hands because all of my sins are forgiven. There also is no passage in the Bible, at least that I'm aware of, which teaches that I am accountable or responsible before God uh, because of someone else's rejection of the truth or their acceptance of it. So these are just three out of many verses that actually are saying the exact opposite. Jonah 1.9, salvation belongs to the Lord. Psalm 3.8, salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. And Revelation 7.10, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So salvation belongs to God, not to us. So now that I've covered some of the wrong motives that people may use uh, to try to get people to do evangelism, I want to go over some of the right motives. So, the reason that we should be taking the opportunities that God presents us with uh, to be doing personal evangelism is the same reason that we do anything that God has commanded us to do. In John 14, uh, 14, Jesus says in verse 15, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And again in verse 23, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. When we really stop and think about the gospel message, when we think about the fact that God chose to send his son to suffer the penalty for my sins or for our sins, Not because of anything I or you could ever do, but because he first loved us and chose us. He chose you and me to save, not because of anything that we ever did, not because of anything that he ever foresaw that we would do. Um, And he even chose us while we were still sinners, while we were still rejecting him. Christ, uh, God chose us. When we really stop and think about that message and the hope and the joy of an eternity spent with God, In all of his glory, why would we not love God and desire to obey the things that he has commanded us to do? On top of that, if we truly understand what it is that we are saved from, the eternal punishment of God's wrath, and we truly do have hope and joy that we will be with him in eternity in his glory, why would we not want to share uh, that that gospel message with other people in the hopes that they may have that same hope and that same joy that we have? Okay, so now that I've talked about um, why the reasons that we should be doing personal evangelism, I want to talk more about the occasion that we should be sharing, uh, which is something that I touched on earlier uh, with Acts chapter 16. So, of course, we are not all called or gifted to be evangelists the same way that Billy Graham was, Jonathan Edwards was, or that the Apostle Paul was. Scripture is very clear about this. In Ephesians 4, Paul is writing about how the Spirit equips everyone differently for the building up of the body and of the church. Evangelist is listed as one of those things, along with a position like teaching. So not everyone is called to be an evangelist, and not everyone is called to be a teacher. In Romans chapter 15, Paul is beginning his farewell to the church and talking about his future plans to travel to Spain and to share the, go- and to share the gospel there. Paul does not invite or command anyone from the church to come with him and become evangelists the same way that he is. Instead, he invites them to be a part of his ministry. They can be a part of his ministry in support, whether that's financially or whether that's prayer. 
This is how we can play a role in evangelism. By supporting those who are called to be evangelists or missionaries. Whether that's locally or whether that's abroad. There are various other passages that also teach that we are not all called to be, uh, to be on the missions field or to be handing out tracts to strangers on the street corner. But we do all have a role in evangelism. <clears throat> so I just want to say that for some of us, we are in fact called to be evangelists or maybe for a time called to be uh, on the missions field. I know that this is something that God will lay on that specific person's heart. Again, it's not something to try to guilt someone else into just because we have that uh, specific conviction. So, like in my case, I felt that God was leading me to spend some time in Poland, so I went there for two months and helped them with their summer camps. That was more uh, of an evangelistic outreach, and uh, there were some opportunities to do discipleship there. So, I know that I went to school with people who love to be out on the streets, and they love to be talking to strangers and sharing the gospel with them and talking about their faith. But again, that's something that has specifically been laid on their heart, and that's not something that they should be trying to force on other people. So the occasion for most Christians to be sharing the gospel uh, is not going to be doing street evangelism. It's not going to be speaking with random strangers in the grocery store parking lot or even going out to a foreign country. The occasion for most Christians to be sharing is going to be presented in their day-to-day lives. There are people all around us that we can have opportunities to share the gospel with. Um, God presents us with those opportunities to share with neighbors, with coworkers, with family, with family members, or in some cases, it might even be a stranger that you've met on the, on the grocery store line. So, as we are living our lives as witnesses, as witnesses to who Christ is and what he has done for us, God will present us with those opportunities to share. I'll reference back to Acts 16, uh, verses 25 through 34. The actions of Paul and Silas, in addition to the work of God, which was the earthquake, prompted the jailer to ask the question about salvation. Uh, These men were praising God despite the terrible circumstances that they were in, and when they had the opportunity to escape, they didn't. Obviously, something about these two men was different. They had hope and they had joy. Paul and Silas took the opportunity they were presented with and shared the gospel with the Philippian jailer. If we, are living our, if we are living our lives in a way that glorifies God, uh, we will find ourselves in situations where our actions are leading naturally to those kinds of conversations. The Philippian jailer thought that he had found himself at the end of, at the end of his rope, and, uh, and he had no way to carry on, and he was about to kill himself. Paul and Silas did what 1 Peter 3.15 says. They were, ready to make, uh, they were ready to make an answer for the hope that was within them. We also need to be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us. That hope being deliverance from God's wrath and eternal life through Jesus Christ, or what we know as the gospel message. So it is our responsibility to be sensitive to the Spirit as He is directing us to have these kinds of conversations. Prayer plays such an important role, uh, plays such an important role in this. As we seek God and pray and pray about or for the opportunities that we will have. God, uh, God will make us more sensitive to the Spirit's direction. In Acts chapter 17, uh, while Paul is waiting for travel companions in Athens, Paul's spirit was being provoked within him, and it led him to go and talk to the people in Athens about the gospel, which is what the rest of that chapter is about. So the same way that Paul was sensitive, was sensitive to the Holy Spirit is the same way that we need to be sensitive and be willing to yield 
to the Holy Spirit. Yes, I understand that some of those conversations are going to be uncomfortable. Uh, going to be uncomfortable. Yes, there will be plenty of questions that we are unable to answer at that point in time. But what we need to remember is that the same Spirit that is provoking us is the same Spirit that is going to equip us in those times. This is the same Spirit that was with Paul when he proclaimed the Gospel before Caesar. It is the same Spirit that when the apostles were sent out by Jesus um, were, were, with that, uh, were with them. When they were proclaiming the Gospel uh, before the religious leaders, before political leaders, before their friends, friends and family. So in Matthew chapter 10... Jesus is speaking to the disciples about how they will have to proclaim Him before all types of people. And then, in verses 19 and 20, He says to them, Do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speaks, but the Spirit of of your Father speaking through you. So I know that this is something that I can personally say is true. While I've been doing both evangelism and discipleship, uh, there have been situations where someone has asked me a difficult question or they've presented me with, um, with a different problem. And initially I'm thinking to myself, I don't know how to handle this. But as I commit it to God in prayer, there are all of a sudden verses or maybe a sermon that I had listened to or some advice that I had received from someone uh, that does start to come to mind. And I know that that's not my own doing, that's not my good memory because my memory is terrible. But I know that that's the work, the work of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so, uh, there are two things that I want to address that I'm not saying. Uh, I am not saying that this is a guarantee that the Spirit will, God, will give you all the answers to every single question that a person may have. And I am not saying uh, that there is no preparation required on our part uh, because the Spirit will give us the words or give us those verses. It is perfectly fine to not have an answer to one of those questions. It is actually acting in wisdom to look at that person and say, well, I don't have an answer for this question right now, but if you give me a little bit of time, I I can come back to you or I can direct you to someone who does have an answer. Uh, Because in those situations, we could actually end up causing more emotional damage to someone by just trying to act like we have an answer. So sometimes it is acting in wisdom just to tell them that, you know, we don't have an answer for that right now. To my second point about being prepared, we need to make sure that we are praying about these opportunities and equipping ourselves to answer the basic questions uh, using Scripture. So while the Spirit will bring to mind verses or thoughts to help us out in those situations, I have heard it said that the Spirit needs a well to draw from, and it is up to us to be able to fill that well. This is going back to the point that I had actually made earlier about being a student of the Word. We need to make sure that we are staying in the Bible, that we are familiar with the gospel message, and that we are able uh, to defend it. <clears throat> so it is not impossible for the Spirit to give you a verse that you have never read before. But like I said, in my own personal experiences, the Spirit was always working with what it was that I had equipped, um, what I had taken the time to equip myself with. So... Again, like I had said, this is something that throughout the year I really had to struggle with and really had to sort through. Um, you know, so I figured that it was something good to be able to, to teach on, to be able to share with you guys. Um, I don't know how much time there is left. But um, yeah, there really is a lot more that I, that I would have liked to have covered with this topic. And there's so much more that you can go in depth with this. I know J.I. Packer has a book uh, about evangelism that I'm probably going to read at some point. Um, but yeah, but I just kind of wanted to share with you guys what God had laid on my heart. And again, um, next week I'm going to be up here. 
and I'm going to be talking about um, the sovereignty of God, and then explaining a little bit more in depth what the gospel message is. So, right. So, thank you guys for your time, and I'm going to close in prayer. Um, Heavenly Father, Lord, I want to come to you and pray now, and I want to thank you again for this time we've had to uh, spend in your word. Uh, so, Lord, I do just want to pray that you would help us to be uh, more sensitive to the opportunities that we have to, uh, to, share, uh, to share the gospel with others, and that we would be doing it with the right motivation, that we would be doing it because we love you, because we have a proper understanding of the gospel, um, and that we do understand what it is that you've done for us. And, God, I do want to thank you for the fact that you sent your son to die on the cross for me, for my sins, for the sins of all those who will believe in you, that have their faith in you, God. Uh, just knowing that it's not anything that I could do or not anything that anyone else could do. Uh, and I do thank you for the fact that salvation is up to you. Because I know that if it was up to me, I would have given it up or lost it by now. Um, so I do just want to thank you for that assurance that we have of having our faith in you. And just pray that you would help us to um, keep our sights on you and to keep our sights on uh, what the end goal is. That it's not this earth, but it is spending eternity in all your glory. So God, uh, I do just want to pray for my dad, who's going to be preaching uh, after this, uh, that you would be with him, and just watch over us the rest of the day with whatever it is that we have planned, and I'd like to pray for this in Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right.